0: Hello, if you have found this, you are listening to Spin It to Win It, a wonderful album review podcast hosted by Zachary Barnett and David Yanarella, where we go into a deep dive of some of the most influential albums of all time. First off, we're kicking it off with one of the greatest debut records of all time, Duns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction. This one is famous for Welcome to the Jungle, the Sweet Child of Mine and Paradise City, but what you're gonna learn is that there's so many hidden gems on this album, and if you wanna spin it to win it with us, by all means, throw it on, and do an album review yourself. There's nothing like listening to an album top to bottom. It's one of the best ways to listen to music, and if you happen to enjoy us, give us a like, give us a follow, write us a review wherever you're at. Let us know what you think. Uh, if there's a way we can improve Shoot us a text, whatever you think, uh, but otherwise, welcome to Spin It to Win It. Let's begin. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Spin It to Win It podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Barnett. My wonderful co-host and I, who have tried to make a music podcast work before, and have finally found a format we like. David Yonarella, David what's up man I
1: don't know that much man. just uh you know, hanging out getting to uh still kind of getting adjusted to moving so it's been a couple months now but still like every once in a while I'll just catches you think <laughs> something's different but uh other than that you know just going to work coming home making some food eating that food and Doing it all again the next day.
0: Where are you uh living at now? Or are you
1: uh I'm up in Connecticut actually.
0: Very so, nice. Yeah. Very nice.
1: Big change from South <clears throat> Carolina.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're probably you're probably about to experience pretty uh fun winter to say the least.
1: Yeah, it's been a while since I had uh to worry about snow, at least in the way that like most northerners worry about snow. But I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some snow on the ground instead of just having it fall and immediately
0: uh,
1: evaporate, but stuff's still closing anyway. So,
0: so uh, we got to talk sports for a second because obviously it's a second kind of love we both have. Man, your Clemson Tigers are just as bad as my IU Hoosiers in football this year. I don't know what's going on.
1: Uh yeah, we could we could do a whole podcast on that. Um, I have not been following it super closely, but I have to say that I'm not super surprised. Honestly, just I think looking just from like a historical perspective, I think outside of Alabama and a few other teams having a team stay that like as dominant as Clemson has been for. 10 plus years is tough to do. And I think looking back on it, like looking back at Davos career, I think the highlight, this best hiring decision will be hiring Brent Venables in 2012 after the orange bowl fiasco. I think his worst decision is going to be letting Jeff Scott go. He was such a huge force for recruiting and just looking at the way the offense is running this year. I, it's hard to say it's even running. The offensive output is just not there. The defense is still doing great, but oh, that offense is just not doing anything.
0: Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, you still have several winnable games here, especially with, like, Florida State being awful, Syracuse not being great, Pittsburgh coming up. Like, you have some winnable games here that I think, like, you'll probably get a bowl game, and, you know, you could end up being, like, nine and three, 10 and two squad. But like at the end of the day, I think a lot of people were like Clemson's the second best team coming into the year. And that was quickly kind of found to be like kind of frotty when, you know, you lose to North Carolina state who is much better than they have been in years past. And then obviously the loss to Georgia, who is the number one team in the nation now. So, uh don't really fault you on that one. The Georgia loss is a tough one. But the yeah. North Carolina State, you know, obviously in double overtime. Definitely a little different there as well. And, of course, IU was, you know, preseason ranked 20th coming into the year. Everybody had really high expectations. Michael Penix, you know, was like kind of a dark horse opportunity to be like all Big Ten, and they have been awful. Uh, everything from uh, the Cincinnati game where I was at and, Defensive captain gets ejected for targeting. Which, if you want to talk about a whole podcast, man, targeting rules in the NCAA would be a wild one because I have some, uh, I have some words for the rules committee. But we should record that podcast because I would <laughs> like
1: to go to the defense of one James Skalski, who got ejected, like in the championship game versus LSU and against Ohio State for targeting. So but yeah,
0: yeah like on, I, any- I I think targeting should definitely be a 15 yard penalty. I'm not questioning that. I think it's the the ejection, the automatic ejection that's where I have the biggest issue with it. Yeah. I mean IU was thoroughly dominating at Cincinnati and then they lose their defensive captain midway through the second quarter and that's enough to swing the game completely. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that it ha- had that not happened IU it is beating Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's not the number two team in the nation; like they're number three team, whatever they are now. But we're yeah. not here to we're not we're obviously not here to talk about college football because we'd be here all night. And obviously, uh, you're a working man. I got uh, work in the morning as well. Oh yeah, wow. we we tried an albums podcast before, music podcasts in general, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts recently and since I have a lot of time to kill as a student. And I was like, man, I cannot find a dedicated like album reviews podcast like what I used to do on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was time, man. I wanted to hit somebody up who had a, a love for music like I did. And what better way to start than what many would argue is the greatest debut rock album of all time? Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction.
1: Oh, yeah. Definitely excited to talk about this. Like Guns N' Roses. Like when I think back to just hearing songs for the first time and like having an effect. Like I just remember like first time hearing Sweet Child of mine. Um just like thinking, I want to learn how to play this on guitar. Just like hearing it and be like, I want to do this. It's just like the whole album has, has that feel for me where it's like it's like this is new and cool and this is what i want to be doing and like imagining just kind of when this was released this coming out and the, compared to like a lot of the other bands that were popular at the time this coming out was probably just like giving people whiplash
0: 100 like we'll talk a lot about albums that came out or artists that were popular at the time. But like, when I went to Saw Guns N' Roses a few weeks ago with my dad, one of the things we talked about on the way up there was just like, how big of like, how, how big of an eye-opening all of this was. So like, you think about like hard rock at the time. You had Van Halen, you had Aerosmith, White Snake, U2, Great White. Like, some of these heavier bands, Beastie Boys were just starting off. Soundgarden wasn't a household name yet, but they had just put out an album. Slippery When Wet has been out for a few weeks. And then they start throwing out these singles, and, like, people's like, who is this band? My mom was at the first Guns N' Roses tour. They were on tour with Aerosmith, and she was like, no one knew who they were, but they were selling these demos of an album called Appetite for Destruction. And she bought it, and it... Is crazy to me that, you know, being there in 1986 and then this album coming out a year later after being mastered, like remastered by Mike Klink from Geffen Records, who we're going to talk about later for some of his other stuff he's done. This is insane. Uh, 30 million sold in the United States. It is by far the most. Successful debut record, like, statistically. Number one on Billboard, number one in New Zealand. 18 times platinum, like, absurd to hear. And you know what? Not every song is a banger, too. And we're going to talk about that, obviously, as well. But I got to ask you, where were you the first time you heard either the full album or where was the first time you heard one of the songs on this? Cause I remember where I was, I, you know, listening to classic rock radio uh, probably second grade. I remember hearing welcome to the jungle for the first time. And I probably heard it before then, but it never clicked with me. And then I literally went into class and wrote an essay about how if I could join any band in history, it would be guns and roses. <laughs> in hindsight it would have been a horrible decision but like <laughs> yeah uh at the time like me as a kid like listening to songs, like, damn that is awesome and i uh, i think i still have that paper somewhere my dad was like i don't think you would have wanted to join guns and roses they had a lot of issues and obviously looking at it now yeah they had a lot of issues to say the least
1: And, uh, yeah, I remember growing up um, when I was like super little um, before I was in school or anything. My dad and I would always go down and go fishing. Um, we'd like wake up early in the morning, go get breakfast, and then just drive out to a lake or a river or go down by the canal that like ran through our t- hometown. We just sit on the back of his truck and like to go fishing and just like listen to the radio, and I can definitely remember just like hearing all sorts of classic rock songs on there, and that really, for a long time, was just like the stuff I listened to, like Guns N' Roses, lots of Queen, um, just like all these other things, and I remember like hearing Sweet Child of Mine when I was like older and like hearing it after I started playing guitar the first time I remember the first time hearing it after that I was like I need to learn how to play this song and I think I was about 14 when I got my first issue of Guitar World magazine and it had a article just like listening a bunch of stuff with different guitarists and it was like the first time I remember seeing Slash just a picture of him and I was like this is the coolest person I've ever seen in my life just like the hat the hair the like the guitar just like low slung just everything about it like this is the coolest person I've ever seen I want to be I want to be this person then uh, that was like really when I got more into it and like try, started to learn more about them like pick it up the albums like listen to them. So yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been a while, but it's definitely just, it makes sense just with the way how successful this album was like their first impression on you is super strong and it makes you want to learn more.
0: And again, you know, some of the stuff that was out at the time, there was great music. Like I said, Bon Jovi, Slippery When Wet had just come out, and many would argue, best Bon Jovi album. White Snake's White Snake had just released. You two had just put out an album. And it did not matter. (laughs) You had Sweet Child of Mine go all the way to number one, Paradise City all the way to number five, Welcome to the Jungle all the way to number seven. And it dominated the Billboard charts for years. Not to the level of Dark Side of the Moon, which I'm sure we're going to cover, you know, down the line, because uh, I know that that is, you know, one of the greatest, you know, basically a timeless masterpiece. But Geffen had something with Guns and Roses that they didn't have with other bands. Tesla was okay. Aerosmith was fine. Snoop Dogg hadn't really caught on yet. He was, you know, grown his grown his group, but he he really hadn't hit the big time. Puddle of Mud isn't here yet. Link 182 is really not there. Lifehouse isn't there. But when this hits number one, everybody rushes to sign with Geffen. And I just, I cannot imagine just like how this like overnight flip of a switch, you know, July 21st, I taste in the middle of the summer and just overnight people go like, rushing to this, you know, production and my record company to just basically be taken over. And that's got to be the most surreal feeling, like, ever. You know, being like, yeah, we started this all. Like, their success is basically because we recorded this just, like, absolute banger of a debut album.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's just like the like looking back on it now we can definitely see just how impactful it was and it's like it's real. it's awesome to see in uh, gosh. um yeah it's like it seems like this album is just like came in and it's like, okay, we're changing the game. The, the rules that we've played up to this point are gone. We are here now, and this is how stuff's going to go from here on out. They just come in with their sound. <laughs> it's like the attitude um, I, I don't know. I've heard rumors that Axel could be a bit abrasive at times. Um, and
0: everything I've always read and heard uh, would point to that as well. Uh, You know, (laughs) born and raised Lafayette, Indiana boy. I grew up in the choir and then got into drugs and started doing rock. And, like, that's what a lot of singers in Indiana did, man. Like, I look at Shannon Hoon, who is also from that same exact area. Like, you know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, just, like, how many great singers came from northwestern Indiana uh, Michael Jackson, obviously, from Gary uh, area. So, like, it's just, it, it's insane and to think that, like, this is what what it was. Um, you know, Bon Jovi's obviously the most successful hair band of all time, but, like, Guns N' Roses wasn't really, like, the glam band that Bon Jovi was. They were so hard, and their songs were so dark. They almost have a like end of the world feeling like a grunge album would, but being played with the guitars of Bon Jovi and like Poison and like these glam bands at the time. Let's break down some of the statistics obviously we talked about this release July 21st 1987 since then 30 million sold in the United States. And like Spotify streams are just absurd for this album too. I mean, I think the, the song with the least amount of streams is still like in the 20 million range. And like for an album that has been out 34 years, almost 35 years, like that's still an insane amount of plays to be like getting today even. And then you look at like everything else, like in New Zealand, the number one record over there. In Europe, it fluctuated from like three to seven. Cause you know, obviously Europe has a totally different like musical sound, but yet this album still sold like hot cakes over there too. And then you go uh, to the Rolling Stones greatest 500 albums, which was a group of like what, 30, 40 music- musicians and writers collaborating Putting this at number 62 of the greatest albums of all time. It's like, it's insane to say the least. Uh, And tied with Pearl Jam 10 for the greatest debut, according to the Rolling Stone. Hopefully, we talk about all these because, man, like, Pearl Jam 10 also was like my first, like, when I thought of like a debut show, I was like, it's gotta be one of these two. And you know i just want what's the one that i think was more successful overall you know um some other statistics uh Mac, mike link he was the uh producer on this also produced rust in peace by megadeth and he was the engineer on metallica's injustice for all which uh, is one of probably one of the my 20 favorite albums of all time I mean it's just one I think it's a masterpiece top to bottom it's one of the one of the many albums I can play straight through without saying mm, they skip a song and then of course Geffen records has had Snoop Dogg, Aerosmith Tesla huddle of mud uh, currently uh record company for Olivia Rodrigo I believe so which they've been in Court a lot recently because of her uh, lawsuits and settlements. So, uh, who knows how much longer they're going to keep her on board? But obviously, Guns N' Roses did not live up to the hype off their next several albums, like GNR Lies, Spaghetti Incident, even the Use Your Illusions, all kind of undersold compared to this one. But. What's crazy to me is just how instantly this, like they became a name with this, you know, they only released three singles and the album drops and their singles didn't perform very well. And then the album drops, they all hit the airways at the same time and people just took it and ran. And, you know, some of the songs you can't even play on radio, you know, we, <laughs> You know, listening to this, like, I mean, there's a lot of expletives, and obviously you can edit those, but most DJs really don't want to do that, you know, and so you can't play every song, and yet it's still, it's still just so good overall. Was there any, like, anything in particular that you, like, look at, you're like, man, this really stuck out to me when listening to this, looking back on it now? What was like the first statement thing you remember uh, hearing and just stuck out so well?
1: I think one of the things that really stuck out to me was like, I think when you think back on a lot of just bands or musical acts in general, you'll always think like, what is their like signature song? Like if you had to like play one song from them, like, what, what, what is it going to be, you know? Like, people will have different answers to this, but I think if you asked, a, like, a thousand people or whatever, like, you have to pick one Guns N' Roses song to play to somebody to let them know what this band is about, odds are you're going to get either, like, Sweet Shot of Mine or Welcome to the Jungle. And the fact that the first song on this album is, like, one of their most iconic is just so perfect. I think that really helps helped with like why it was so successful. Like you pop this cassette into your player and that's the first thing you hear is like one of the best songs that this band made. You're going to want to listen to everything else. And that's just such a good opening statement to have as a band, like you want to put your best foot forward first and like put people out, like, this is what we're going to do. And they just, made it happen from the beginning like that was they're here this is our show now like this is what you're gonna expect from us going forward and the rest of the just lives up to that and kind of perpetuates that a little bit which helps a lot with making the album such a nice listen when you're going through and like listening to the whole thing
0: yeah and so some more stats 12 tracks i think the album's a little over like 48 minutes if i'm not mistaken Yeah. To me, the, the, the I mean, to me, the B side doesn't get enough credit for how good it is. Obviously, the A side has two of their biggest hits and Welcome to the Jungle and Paradise City. But you flip it over and it starts off with My Michelle and then Think About You and then Sweet Child of Mine, which, again, we've already talked about many people. That's the first song they think of when they think of Guns N' Roses, because it's such a unique sound, such a unique opening riff on guitar. And then even songs like You're Crazy and Rocket Queen are great conclusions to the album. i got to say, when I saw uh, Guns N' Roses in Chicago a few weeks ago, like, Axel Rose was not 100%. He had been sick, and, like, they had been very clear about that. But he kept having to leave um, the show to, like, go rehydrate and stuff like that. And he'd, like, change his shirt every time. Because, I mean, obviously, you're up there, you're sweating bullets. You're in front of 50,000 people at Wrigley Field, even though it's 60 degrees when you take the stage. All the lighting and everything, it's still going to be, you know, 120 degrees up there. Mm-hmm. And even though he may not have what he used to have vocally, he still put in the energy and like when he did Night Train, I mean, this crowd was so pumped up and like he did Rocket Queen. And like it was insane to me. But I think one of the coolest things was Duff McKagan singing How to Get Me, which both of us agree might be the worst song on the album but it was different hearing it from Duff's voice than Axel's because Axel's voice kind of get a little grimy, a little tough to listen to over and over again like that. But Duff doing it where he doesn't have to repeat the lyrics over and over again definitely made it much more interesting to say the least. I think that's all we had for statistics. I know we had uh, kind of talked about everything. We had had a few go
1: ahead i do want to add one thing though because you said like a side b side well actually well let's take i was looking i was looking at they said um it's not necessarily a and a b side it's a g and the r side Oh um because you got the guns you got the roses and it's like obviously kind of cute whatever there's marketing however you want to put it but it really has that vibe when you listen to it where the front side the gun side the g side is very much just talking about crime and all this other stuff going on and you feel like you're listening to like a ragtag group of outlaws and when you flip over to the r side you've got the roses it's like kind of supposed to be like kind of romantic you have sweet child of mine you have these songs talking about love but the way i described listening to is like it's very much a rose because it's like a rose if you gri- like gripped it as hard as you can. You had a death grip on the stem and like the thorns are cutting into your hand. That's the kind of feeling I get when listening to the back half of this album. It's like you have the emotion there, but it's still mixed in with this like raw passion and still a little, little grimy at times.
0: Yeah, and that again, I think that's some of the masterful work uh, in the production studio on this i mean just the whole album every song sounds different you know front to back there isn't anything where you're like those are the same song you know white snake had that issue there's a lot of songs we listen to them back to back going i just listened to the same song for nine minutes or like poison i always grind, grind in my gears it's like oh yeah you guys just played like super electric blues well thanks (laughs) whatever this was truly like front to back every song was different and different enough to where you kept going you know again like the difference between my michelle and sweet child of mine think about you in the middle is like you know my michelle pretty slow ballady opening that gets more and more aggressive as the song goes on Think about you was already aggressive to begin with, and then "Sweet Child of Mine" a completely different tonality. But I think I think we should move into some awards. We had talked a little bit about these uh, previously, but I think it's time we moved into some awards. You ready for this? Yeah, let's hop In I'm excited for this. This is this was like. Six, six awards here, five awards, and a braid. So first thing, first thing is, what would you say the best song on the album is?
1: It's tough. So I think just subjectively speaking, just from like looking at it historically, the best song overall, just given all that, would have to be Sweet Child of Mine. Personally, though, I think my favorite song is "It's So Easy." Um, it just gives a different feeling, and I like when I'm listening to it. I feel like it's I'm listening to like a precursor of what's about to come in the '90s with like Nirvana a little bit. Like you get a little bit of that coming through um, in like a little pre-chorus section, especially. Yeah. Um, so that I really like that part of it. Um and just the guitar, the guitar parts in it are great. The main riff is excellent. Um it definitely just gives a vibe. I can just envision Axel saying everything, like saying everything in the song just as a person. Um and it was the first single that actually got released. Um uh, from this album, they put it out in the UK before Welcome to the Jungle or Sweet Child of Mine or any of these other songs. And that was like one of the reasons I think it really took off over there was because it's got more of this kind of like punky vibe to it. And I think it stands out for me among the rest of the songs in the album is one that I'll just like sit there. I could sit there and like listen to it back to back to back constantly and not get tired of it and just like keep going. And that's something I really like about music. I like to like listen and find new things. And I feel like I'm finding new things even when I listen to it. So I think that would be my pick for like favorite song, Uh, but objectively best is probably Sweet Child of Mine.
0: Sure. So I I think this is an interesting question because you asked me as a kid, my answer is either Paradise City or Welcome to the Jungle. And, like, this is going back in the time where, like, I didn't even have a Google account. But, like, on my parents' Google account on on Google, you would always see those, like, typed in, like, listened to on our computer. But now as an adult and, like, truly, like, appreciating music now and lyrics and everything else, very easily going to pick my Michelle. And it's just, I I don't even know how to describe it. It's just the opening like 12 seconds of the song where like it's just guitar and it just like gradually gets more intense and they start adding in like a little bit of cymbal here and there, and then they all come in together and it's loud, it's obnoxious and it's in your face. That to me, is so cool and like the lyrics are so haunting like we really talk about lyrics on this album but like the lyrics in the song in particular are so haunting and and obviously like you know i'm a massive grunge fan so like anything with like these dark and disturbing lyrics like that i just absolutely love them um hopefully one of the albums we talk about Uh, is Corn's Issues. It's one that I've wanted to talk about with people before because very disturbing lyrics on that album always freaks people out. It's like the meanings behind them all is just intense. And that's what I think this song was. It was just like such an intense song to start off this backside of an album that's all about being in love. The next award is the worst song on the album. I think we both have the same answer, right? Like, this is five, or like maybe even the song that doesn't, that shouldn't be on the album. Like, the album becomes like better if it's not on here. And I don't know if that's necessarily true in this case because I think it still helps tell the story, but it's definitely the worst song, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, so I my pick for this was Out to Get Me um my thing i will say it's talking the whole like removing it from the album i think the album as a whole is like just about perfect in the sense of like everything fits into a place and i think um i was thinking about this as i was listening to it because i was trying to like get in the zone getting ready for this podcast on like two days notice like um I had my guitar, I tuned it down so I could be like Slash. <laughs> um, just like sitting here kind of jamming. But I was thinking about it and thinking back to like just the culture of like the late 80s and stuff. Like people were just so focused on things like crime. Like you go back and look at like the movies that were happening. Um, you think of the movies that were just like massive gang fights in the middle of the street. Like uh, it's like on it was on my mind because i watched it recently but like the opening scene to predator 2 where danny glover is just like driving the cop car in the middle of this like firefight between the cops and this like gang like that was like a thing that people were worried about at the time that's why i was showing up in this meet in media and like movies and you go back and see the other stuff like um, the way they like show The past in uh, Demolition Man, like all those movies would talk about crime and just like crime waves. And the front side of this album, I think, really sets you in that place where it's like the people you're listening to, the life they're talking about is just reality for them or what they viewed as like you're like on the street trying to make it by. You're like the garbage of society and you're doing whatever you can. You're like, drinking doing whatever drugs you can get your hands on just to survive and out to, even though out to get me was a song that as i was listening to it more i was starting to skip it near the end nope. it still fits in to the whole image and like these like people like someone who's in that situation like if you're on the street you're just trying to get by like you're not necessarily guilty of anything but you're still getting stuck in these scenarios that you can't get yourself out of and it's just this vicious cycle and i think the song really still speaks to that so even though it's probably the worst on the album still has a place and even but being the worst on this album is not like a huge slight like being the worst of the best albums of all time is still really good (laughs)
0: Yeah, and like that that's one of the things. Like this is one of those albums where it's like, I don't think you can take a track off. Of. I think you have to have all 12 of these tracks. And they need to be in this particular order. And like, and it was because of that that like made this album what it is. And I hate it. I hate this song because like Axel Rose over and over again, he says, like, I'm fucking innocent. You're probably not, otherwise you wouldn't make a song about it. But like also. On the same time, like he's on drugs when he's making this, you know, when they're writing this song, obviously, uh, you know, him, Izzy, all of them were like deep into drugs and they're probably paranoid as hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like this album hasn't come out yet. So they probably don't have a ton of money. You know, they're probably freaking out a little bit. And some of the subtle tones of the song are like, yeah, like, Life sucks, and everyone's out to get me. Well, I can kind of be said for pretty much anybody who's hard on their luck. But I agree. I think it's the worst song, but like it has to be on you.
1: Yeah, I will say also adding into the whole like him whining. I think it gets the thing gets me most about it is that Axel he's so good at portraying that whole sensation of paranoia that's going on. It's like you get to like you feel a little bit of it too i think that's part of the reason why it's not it's played as much as the rest of the other tracks it's like you can if you're listening to it you can start to kind of get into your head and then you start to feel a little bit about it like you start to feel that just like what if someone's trying to get me like it's very good and that's like that's sometimes what happens with art sometimes you make something that's so relatable that people just can't deal with it like you know, there's probably like some horror movie out there, the absolute scariest movie ever that no one will ever watch because people watch it and then get scared for their lives. Stuff like that. Like this song is really good at making you feel like you're getting chased. Like someone's out to get you is that really good at
0: conveying that emotion. This so is the next one. I actually had a couple of nominees for the most overplayed song. And I think it comes down to three the three biggest songs. I think it's like, Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise City, or Sweet Child of Mine. Mm -hmm. And this was an interesting one because I've only heard one of these done by a show choir. And that was my vote. (laughs) So uh, I'll let you take it away though. What do you think is the most overplayed song on this album?
1: Okay, it was tough. And I had a little bit of a philosophical debate um, with myself going through this. Because my thought, one of my first things was like, my first like gut instinct call was gonna be Sweet Child of Mine. Because I was like, it's the most played. So like reasonably speaking that it's the most overplayed. But then like thought crept into my head. It's like, can it really be overplayed if it's one of the greatest songs of all time? Like I think it's getting played at the appropriate level for what it is. Um, then I kind of started thinking about Paradise City and I was like, I remember being like little and like singing the chorus of this as a kid, but compared to the other two big tracks, I it wasn't at the same level for me. So yeah, I ended up on Welcome to the Jungle because it is played every sporting event I've ever been to. I think it is some sort of It's
0: always just the first like 20 seconds. Yeah, It's never the full song. It's up through Axel screaming through the guitar part.
1: I think it's like some sort of contract or something that when they install a sound system in a sporting venue, the sound system comes pre-downloaded with Welcome to the Jungle, We Will Rock You, We Are the Champions, and then some the combination belt. yeah this has some combination of jump around uh zombie nation seven nation army or Darude sandstorm yeah there's like every single venue has that so that was my thing It's like i just could remember how many sporting events i've gone to where the home team runs in to welcome to the jungle and i was like that has to be my pick and it's still a really good song it really gets you hyped up but at some point find something else
0: This was also my choice. Uh, My sister's show choir did this one year. And, like, the the girl who did the solo on it, she's great, whatever. But, holy shit. I heard that song nine times that season. And, like, I was over it, you know. And, like, that and, like, like you said, every sporting event, doesn't matter if it's high school, college, pros, you're going to hear it at least once. Sometimes the opening more than once. Mm -hmm. um and like if you ever turn on classic rock radio and you have it on for two or more hours you're gonna hear welcome to the jungle at least once you'll probably hear sweet child of mine once but paradise city i think like you know was like definitely not the answer because i don't you don't hear that song as much i don't think um it used to be a lot bigger Uh, i heard it all the time growing up i don't hear it as much anymore so uh, easy welcome to the jungle here, uh, for sure. This one, I didn't come up with any uh, options for. I think this one was more like personal favorites uh, or like personal feelings. But did you have any songs where you were like, I cannot believe this song didn't become a hit? Um,
1: I definitely think... It's tough with... Yeah, like, again, it's kind of tough when you're dealing with an album of this caliber to, like, find something that's, like, underplayed. It's, like, one of the... I mean, you know, 30 million copies sold, everything's gotten played a good amount of times. But I think... Let me, let me pull up some stats real quick. Um, if I had to pick one, just going off of the Spotify Plays um i would have to probably pick probably my michelle i think that that one definitely has just like not gotten the same respects and again like listening to that one i remember when i did the fresh listen of the album just like played it through um the opening, the opening chords, like the just a very, very beginning, kind of reminds me of like a Leonard Skinner song. And then as soon as the second layer comes in, you get this like more ominous tone. it's Like, okay, this is not Leonard Skinner. And as it like he's just building on top of that, and then you get the just the actual chorus or, or the actual riff when everyone comes in, and then you're like, Okay, cool. This is like kind of what i was expecting like even though it's supposed to be the more like roses side it's definitely like you're still gonna have those thorns there and it definitely comes out i think it's probably just too much of like a reality check for some people and so it's like this is like a song where you're talking about someone's life and i was when i was looking up stuff i read somewhere that it was whoever it was written about there was originally supposed to be kind of like more of a love song just like more kind of fluffy nice and the person was like that's not reality that's like that's not my life so then Axel went back and rewrote it and turned it into this so definitely just like you get that thing it's like so just raw and real and it's just an awesome song
0: This was this was tough because the one I want to pick has some vulgar language in it. And like obviously you're not gonna play it on the radio. Mm-hmm. And again, the the lyrics of my Michelle probably a bit like tough to pass off. Like on a regular like radio station. I will say this when I was on the radio, I played this song and I was doing my hair show. I did this all the time. This song is like easily my favorite Guns N' Roses song and, like, criminally underplayed. I think the one that I'm going to go with is Think About You, which is the song between this and, you know, Sweet Child of Mine, which has one billion plays on Spotify. Like, billion with a B. Like, that's insane. And Think About You only has, like, 22 million, And million. I'm just like, this song is so, like, Good. And like, I don't even really like, can't really describe what makes it so like what I what I like so much about it. But I think it's just like it's the it's taking the edge from like my Michelle, like the end of my Michelle and running with it because it's just like it's fast, it's obnoxious, it's loud. And it might just be like, I remember seeing it performed live and it was so good there the like listening to it now brings me back to that night but also i just think like it was just it's on there and it it's such a good filler spot and it takes up such a good like slot on the cd that i would love to hear it played more yeah and it's
1: you make a point with like the lyrics with my michelle and it's like just listening to the whole album though like if you get into it and like listen like really listen like read all the lyrics most of the other songs are not like necessarily child-friendly or anything like once you oh, get yeah. into like the actual subject matter of it it's just i think the thing with my michelle is that it's so just direct and it's not like axel's like trying to like conceal what he's saying or anything like some of the songs like oh i don't understand the part but he said paradise city that sounds fun it's yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah but yeah like you get that it's such a good album i think yeah think about you as another like really solid choice i think where you just got it's like coming off of my michelle you're gonna be like oh this person just like can't have anything good to say about anybody it's like oh, okay well maybe like you know there's a little bit nice niceness going on there because it's, it's not quite as Hard-hitting is by Michelle. It's still just a really good song. Great, great riff. Uh, all the guitar work on this album is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. I, and I mean, that's true for a lot of Guns N' Roses. Just like the guitars, the, the musicianship on all of it is almost always just like top quality stuff. Now, if we ever do the Spaghetti Incident, which I hope to God we never have to do, uh, but if it's ever recommended to us and somebody says, hey, please do the Spaghetti Incident. We have to talk about their... Covers of uh Nazareth's uh, song of the dog, or whatever it is. If we ever have to talk about that, you we're know, just going to rant, but <laughs> I must say, like, overall, just top quality stuff from GNR here. Yeah. And so, if you can put yourself back in the mind of Little Yanni, what would you have graded the album then?
1: When I was young, oh gosh. Um, so I remember the first physical copy I bought of this album and I was 14, I think. And I bought it at the same time I bought Chinese Democracy. Oh boy. Which I stood outside in line to get. Um, yeah
0: rip the dream there
1: <laughs> so uh it's tough to say like because up to that point like i hadn't listened to all the tracks like i'd heard like welcome to the jungle sweet child of mine paradise city and maybe like um, one or two others yeah like it's so easy and night train i think i heard also but like after hearing the full album like i definitely would have given it like an a back then just because like that was the thing i wanted to listen to And it's got so many good songs on it. And it's like so condensed and packed in
0: with just excellence.
1: Yeah, it would would have been an A for me back then.
0: So the first time I heard this song, I I had to get my parents to check it out from the library. And then my mom was like, we own this. I was like, oh, we do? So I dug (laughs) through my mom's CD collection and stole it because my parents just bought me a boombox for Christmas. Like, I remember listening to this album top to bottom and not loving it at first. Like I I, I probably would have given it like a, a C plus, B minus because there was like four or five songs. Like, Man, these are like absolutely bitching. And then like, there's a few where I'm just like, eh, it was okay. And like, you know, as a kid, I don't think you can like, you have that deep understanding of music as you do when you start to grow older. And so here's the tough part. If you had to grade it now, what, what grade are you giving Appetite for the Structure?
1: Oh, yeah. So I would definitely say, just from like my first listening to it, it was like when I was like at that age, I was just all about, I mean, I was like slash super fan, I guess. So, like, that was like a huge part of my grade. It's like, I love the guitar parts. Um, and it's like the music part of it was what drew me in. Listening back to it now and like, the lyrics and the commentary that come from the lyrics and just being able to appreciate all the other deep musical aspects of it like besides the guitar like everything else going on with it uh, it's definitely A plus like as the highest grade you give it I don't know if we're just going off like
0: No, grades, I, if yeah. we're going off letter grades I agree with you 100% this is an A plus album again there is old one song where we both agree isn't great and it's not that it's not great it's that it's doesn't touch the quality of everything else yeah and so i agree with you 100 this was this is probably it, and there's a lot of albums like this where they're like top to bottom you can listen to them but quite yeah. frankly like this like This is a great place to start. (laughs) to say the least. And uh yeah. A plus one of I think it's also one of the most influential like albums of all time, too. Because like you said, you were learning guitar. It was one of the first things you try to learn was the ripped sweet child of mine. And like I remember like when I was younger, and like we have like you know, show and all day at school. And like these kids would bring in their guitars. They'd just play the opening couple of notes to Welcome to the Jungle, which like looking back on it, it's like, yeah, it's not that impressive. Like you're 11 years old. You should like probably be able to play a little more than that. But also like at the time, like I was just like, damn, like that is so cool. And so I agree. I think this is an A, like, listening to it now. And it's like everything the album stands for. And everything the like the band's been through, and the fact that it stood the test of time. Like some of these albums, they get buried under like everything else, but this one just has three monumental hits and so many great filler tracks that any of them, any of them really could be hits, in my opinion. Like mm-hmm. if you would have told me that every single song on this album charted, I would believe you. Obviously, we know they didn't. Uh, if you listen to the first half of this episode. Uh, But this was a lot of fun. I'm so excited to do this. Uh, Hopefully we can uh, knock on wood. And and let me tell you, next week is going to be an absolute blast because this is one that I have always shit on as a grunge fan. And I gave it a listen the other day and other than one song, I'm probably wrong. So, we are going to be doing Nirvana's "Nevermind," which I know you are a massive fan of. If I remember correctly, oh, yes, for, yeah, uh, from our previous conversations, so we'll be doing "Nevermind," um, which is what sparked the grunge music, the grunge movement, and we'll see if we're going to give out another A plus or not. Um, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you're still, still here with us and you're tuning into what we're going to talk about next week, Yanni, thanks for joining me. Uh, I know it's a little late. I know you've got work in the morning, as do I. Whoever you're listening to this, uh, be on the lookout for more content. We'll make sure to post this to all of our social media uh, and I'll start working on an Instagram and Twitter and all that, but, you know, just be on the lookout for this. Uh, this will be a lot of, this will be a lot of fun to do weekly and, Maybe we'll have guests, maybe we won't. This is to me, like just talking about albums that we listen to you know, for the first time in a while uh, is always really fun. So thank you. Uh like I said for joining us. Uh you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. That was our in-depth album review of Appetite for Destruction. And I gotta say, after listening to this album, it's so easy this album an A+. This next one's going to be a lot of fun, too. Yanni and I both have a lot of stories to talk about. Nirvana's platinum selling album, Nevermind. One of the most influential albums in grunge and music history, for that matter. Certified diamond. 30 million sold worldwide. So pumped to talk about Nirvana and Nevermind. And hopefully we start working our way down some of the other great debut albums and other great albums of all time. If you have a recommendation, by all means, send us a text, send us an email, spin it to win it pod at gmail.com. All one word. With that, we're signing off.